Do you love the Prince of Glory that we just sang about? Romans 15 will help us remind us of him. Romans chapter 15. So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. I read the first seven verses to you. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Amen and amen. We just received two members at the end of the previous assembly. And as I wrote you yesterday, what did that do to our church? It added to our Christian liberty mix. And that's not a criticism of them because I then wrote and said, we all have differences from one another in our church. But I was taught a long time ago when I would get a little euphoric about new members coming into a church before I was ordained. It was just all euphoria for me. And I remember the pastor that ordained me pulling aside and telling me, a new family, huh? You're euphoric. I'm thankful knowing that it's a whole new set of problems. Now that sounds terrible, doesn't it? But you know what? It's reality. And every time you have another child, while the child is a reward and a blessing, it's a problem, and, a, and a, you're something you're going to have to work with, deal with, train, and take care of for a lot of years to come. There's work involved, is the point. And we take in new members, there's work involved on their part to get along with us. That's probably the bigger part. And then our work of getting along with them. But do you see how this talks about receiving one another? It started out with that concept and those words in verse 1 of chapter 14. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye. But not to doubtful disputations. And it ends that way in verse 7 of chapter 15. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So there's the 30 verses sandwiched by the fact that we should receive each other. We receive each other as members. We receive each other for fellowship. We receive each other at the Lord's table. We receive each other for friendship. We receive each other and embrace each other as our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's wrapped up that way by the Apostle in these 30 verses. But let's go quickly through these verses. And next Sunday preaching on Christian liberty will commence. This has just been expository preaching of Romans 14 and 15. Next Sunday we'll deal with the rules of Christian liberty and hopefully 
A foundation has been laid to where we want to allow everyone their liberties as far as we possibly can for their good to edification so that they can be better Christians and that this church will be a peaceful, happy, edifying place for everyone to come and worship the Lord Jesus Christ in the ways that count while we discard and disregard the things that don't matter. Lord, help us to that end. That's why I have pursued the course this way. We, then that are strong, that's the Apostle Paul referring to others in the Roman church that were strong. They weren't like the weak Jews. Paul was one of them. Paul had already taught us in chapter 14 that he didn't have a problem with meat. We, then that are strong, has a then in it, meaning he's drawing the conclusion from what's gone before in the 23 verses of chapter 14. Because, look at how verse 23 ends chapter 14. He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So the weak ones do not have faith to do certain things, certain liberties that the strong are doing. So what should the strong do? We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. What is their infirmity? Their infirmity is that if you press your liberty in their presence, if they hear about your liberty through their ear too many times, it is going to cause them to stumble. It's going to offend them. It's going to make their conscience weak, and they might go ahead and do something and sin. So then we that are strong, like Paul said in verse 21, it is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine. Like he said in verse 15, if your brothers grieve with your meat, you're not walking charitably. Stop eating that meat offered to idols. Or stop eating that meat that was unclean under Moses' ceremonial laws. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Selfishness is just a horrible, horrible sin. Selfishness is loving yourself too much. Selfishness is loving yourself. Selfishness is caring about yourself. Selfishness is protecting yourself from others. And here the Apostle Paul is saying, I, along with you strong Gentiles in the Roman church, we ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. We ought not to please ourselves. It doesn't matter that we can eat that meat. Let's give up that meat when we are around those weak Jews, lest we cause them to stumble in their weak faith and sin against their consciences and thus defile and damn their lives of fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. And it should be plain by now as we get to this verse as to what we ought to do. But the Apostle Paul is appealing to the Gentiles as a we, the strong ones. We, then that are strong, ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. The lesson of these 30 verses is not instruction for the weak. Have you noticed that? The instruction is for the strong. And so if you really think you're strong, if you really think you have strong positions of Christian liberty, do you know what these 30 verses are saying to you? Have them at home. Put them down. Don't show them to us. Don't talk about them. Don't let your children free to talk about your, your stand on Christian liberty. They shouldn't be sowing your liberty at church to other children. You said it takes some work to tell my children not to talk about certain things. Yeah, well, isn't that something that you should have Bible studies in your home? You should have devotions in your home. And Romans 14, Romans 15, 1 Corinthians 6, 8, 9, 10 should be part of your devotions in your home. 
because it deals with Christian liberty. Because children can be nasty. Because children have no sense of wisdom. And they can say things that are far, that go farther, and they can say them harsher, and they hurt more because children care about what other people think than it can sometimes occur among adults. And so it's something that you want to be careful about. We then that are strong, there'll be more on that coming. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. That's a Christian's life. We love others more than we love ourselves. As Romans 12 and verse 10 taught us, in honor, preferring one another. We prefer others more than ourselves. That is our calling. Remember, all lowliness of mind. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. This is what God's called us to. To make others more important. To make others happy. To cheer them on. To encourage them. To build them up. To edify them by us giving up some of the privileges. Some of the things that we might allow in private. We don't allow in public where we would hurt other people. And so the apostle is drawing things to a conclusion here in these seven verses. And don't let the chapter division bother you because the then tells us that he's drawing a conclusion from what's gone before. You know, the books of the Bible were true from the first writing of the Bible. There's 66 books in the Bible. And, you know, when Samuel sat down and wrote First and Second Samuel or whoever wrote First and Second Samuel and put Samuel's name on it or Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible... We had those 66 books. The chapters of the Bible weren't done until 1205 A.D. There were no chapters in a Bible until 1205 A.D. And then there weren't verses in a Bible until 1555. There weren't any verses. You know, we we think of our chapter and verse distinctions as nearly inspired. God has providentially brought them to us because I sure do like them. Do you know how fast we can find things because we have chapters and verses and an address for each verse in the Bible? And if we didn't have that, it would be so difficult to tell you where to turn. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd say, just turn until you've got three quarters of it on the front side and a quarter on the back side. It wouldn't get us very close. It's a wonderful thing. Don't let, don't let this chapter, the vision here, bother you. Because you can see that he's continuing to flow on with the same line of reasoning. The same lesson here is being continued by our apostle. Verse 2. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. See, instead of pleasing ourselves, there's someone else that we should please. And that's our neighbor. And we want to encourage each other in their liberty. Encourage me in my weakness. That's what we want to do. Let every one of us, every one of us, this isn't a congregational activity, it's an individual activity. Every one of you church members needs to be conscientious about the conscience of every other member. Let every one of us please his neighbor. For what purpose? For his good. What kind of good? Just sheer happiness? Just sheer I don't have to listen to him to tell me about his liberty. No, for his good edification, because we want to build him up in the Christian faith to where he is not distracted, discouraged, offended, or sinning because you're pushing your liberty at him. You're swallowing your liberty when you're around him. You're restraining it. You're keeping it at home so that you're becoming a Jew to the Jew when you're with the Jews. You're becoming without law to those without law when you're with those that are without law. 
in order to build them up in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ because these little things like meat and drink and these little things like epidurals and how you have your babies doesn't matter about our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the apostle, in this wonderful epistle, this epistle where he teaches us about the doctrine of representation of the two Adams in chapter 5 and the doctrine of election in Romans chapter 9, he spends a chapter and a half on Christian liberty because it is so important for a church to dwell at peace. And then four chapters or parts of four chapters in 1 Corinthians. And here's the solution. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Our whole purpose is to build them up as good Christians. For even Christ pleased not himself. Now there are little jewels that are thrown in. And I have tried to share them with you, and I'm going to share more of them with you next Sunday in a summary of the jewels in these 30 verses. Way back over in verse 3 of chapter 14, we love the last five words, for God hath received him. That is a wonderful little statement stuck in the middle of Christian liberty. Why are you judging somebody else? God has received him. Why aren't you receiving him? And here... Well, we have one in verse 15. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. There, the Apostle Paul is teaching us to be considerate of other church members' liberty because Jesus died for them. For them. Here, in verse 3, for even Christ pleased not himself, and in verse 7, as Christ also received us, the argument is... Jesus received us, we should receive others. There's, there's these little jewels being put out to where we look at different angles. One of the angles was the judgment seat of Christ, verses 10 through 12. I may not call that one a jewel. That one's a terrifying one. But it's a true one, nonetheless. The jewels, I mean, were, were, were something's being stuck in to show God showing His superiority to us by receiving them and doing things for them that we're not willing to do. So in verse 15, Jesus died for them. Do you think you could give up eating meat in front of them since Jesus died for them? And since if you don't do that, you're going to undo some of the work of their conversion. And here it is. Don't please yourself. Please others for their good edification. And what is the example? Jesus Christ didn't please himself. For even Christ. And when that word even, that is a word of emphasis and stress pointing out that Christ is an extreme example of examples. For even Christ. Now Jesus was the strongest Christian ever. Would you agree with me on that? When it came to these issues, he was the Son of God. But even the Son of God and God in the flesh did not please himself. You say, well, what, what would you ever want to be God for if you can't please yourself? He didn't please himself in certain respects of redeeming sinners and enemies so that for eternity we're going to please him by glorifying him. It is, it is the design, it is the divine, it is the infinite design of a drama for the ultimate glory and pleasure of God. But in his state of humiliation, Jesus Christ did not please himself. 
He's pleasing himself right now. He's at the right hand of God, and he rules the universe. And he's going to please himself for all of eternity. But in his state of humiliation as our Savior, he didn't please himself. Do I need to say the words to you again? Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Not my will. Not my will. Not my will. Not my liberty. I won't please me, Father. If it's possible, Father, is there another way? Not my will, but thine be done. For even Christ pleased not himself. And we all know that. We're coming to the Lord's table to celebrate that very fact that Jesus Christ did not please himself, but died for us. But as it is written, and here's the proof of that, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul has laid out a statement in verse 3, for even Christ pleased not himself, to bolster his argument that we ought not to please ourselves, but to please others for their good to edification. And so here we are, the Apostle has stated the rule in verses 1 and 2, then he has stated that Christ is an example And now he's going to show it from the Bible. But, as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. That is Psalm 69 and verse 9, the second half of the verse. The reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. God's enemies and their hatred of God fell on the Lord Jesus Christ. Those Pharisees, Sadducees, and others that hated God and hated His Word and would not submit themselves to it, they cast their aspersions on the man, Christ Jesus. The reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. There's a them, a plural group of people that reproached Thee, that is God, and their reproaches have fallen on me. They took out their hatred against the government of God over them on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was willing to take that because he wasn't out to please himself. And so the example stands, and the scripture's support of the example stands, that we ought not to please ourselves, but to please others for their good to edification, just like the Lord Jesus Christ did not please himself in order to save us. And so we should think the same way. Verse 4, For whatsoever things were written afore time were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now, we often take this verse and just take the other Romans 15.4, but now we're going to see it in its context for the first time. The Apostle Paul has made a statement, and it's a rule of Christian liberty. It's verses 1 and 2. Then he has said, I have an example for that rule that I've given you, and the example is Jesus Christ. I can prove that example by quoting from Psalm 69.9. And then he gives us a general rule for the purpose of the Bible. That the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. Psalm 69 in verse 9 was written for us to look at what was prophesied of Jesus Christ, see its fulfillment in the life of Christ, and be able to bolster and understand and accept 
an apostolic rule given to us, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. That's what verse 4 is there for you. You said it sounds like a logical connection. Yes. It's a logical progression in the apostles' argument. We're used to going in and just pulling out 15.4 and saying the Old Testament is for our prophet. And you know what? That is a true statement. But I want you to appreciate Romans 15.4 for the detail that the Apostle Paul is drawing from it. He has half a verse. The other first half of the verse is quoted elsewhere in your Bible in John 2.17. The first half of Psalm 69.9. The second half of a verse... We can depend on those words sufficiently that were written beforehand that tell us about Christ, that we can draw an example from it, and from that example the Apostle, inspired indeed of God, can give us a rule that we ought not to please ourselves, but to please others for their good to edification. For what things, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. The second half of John 69 and verse 9 was written for us to learn the lesson that Jesus Christ took on him the abuse of the enemies of God and we should be able to take upon us a little bit of difficulty by not pleasing ourselves but by pleasing others for their good edification. I'm trying to read this distinctly and give you the sense. We're so used to that verse. And the general rule that the Old Testament is profitable for our learning is perfectly wise and good because the Apostle is giving us a general rule of Scripture in order to substantiate and prove his particular specific use of the second half of Psalm 69.9 for an apostolic order that he's given. See, he doesn't have anything to say to the weak. Do you notice that? We then that are, he doesn't say we then that are weak because he wasn't weak. He didn't say you then that are weak grow up. He slips it in more gently than that at various places. But it's we then that are strong. And he's putting himself with those strong Gentiles. And so in one moment when they would hear, we then that are strong, (laughs) I'm like the Apostle Paul, we then that are strong, then his next words, ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to plead. Oh, you're kidding. I can't say that I'm with Paul and I'm going to go ahead and eat whatever I want, wherever I want. No. You're not going to please yourself. You're going to please others for their good edification because there's one stronger than me. The Lord Jesus Christ. And even He did not please Himself. But He submitted Himself to the humiliation of life in this world with the enemies of God, abusing Him and crucifying Him on the cross. He didn't do that to please Himself. He gave Himself for others. You should give yourself for others. And everything that we can... Paul, this is Paul speaking. Paul writing. Paul teaching us. For everything that is written beforehand is written for our learning. And the lesson I want you to get from the second half of Psalm 69.9 is for you to be selfless and to want to please others. I hope that that makes sense. That we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Scripture itself doesn't have patience. Scripture itself doesn't have comfort. But Scripture tells us about people who did not please themselves but served others, and God provided for them patient enduring of difficulties and comfort in their difficulties. Is what it's teaching. The Old Testament gives us a whole three quarters of the Bible shows us that the Josephs who did what was right and who endured some persecution from ten brothers did God provide any patience for him? 
Was he able to cheerfully endure his difficulties? Did God provide him any comfort? I like that kind of comfort. He ended up on the throne of Egypt with those brothers at his feet begging for their lives. That's verse 4. Verse 5. Now the God of patience and consolation. Patience and comfort in verse 4. Patience and consolation in verse 5. Comfort is consolation. To console someone is to comfort them. Now the God of patience and consolation. It, it Scripture tells us about God providing the strength for people to patiently endure negative events in their lives and to be comforted by the rewards that He provides them and that He will take care of them in this world and the next world. Now the God of patience and consolation, because Scripture tells us the mighty works of God and what He did for His people. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you. We need a grant. And it's something we ought to pray for in this church, and it's something we just did pray for, that God would grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. According to Christ Jesus what? His doctrine that by, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, by the love ye have one to another, by his example, that he did not please himself. Verse 3 and verse 4. According to Christ Jesus, we should all be like-minded. And what does it mean to be like-minded? We think the same thing. But remember, we are talking about a whole universe of things that we differ on. So how can we think the same thing? I will allow your liberties if you will allow me my liberties. We will agree to disagree on those things that don't matter. I will try not to bring it up, and I will try not to have my children bring it up. To be like-minded, to be to want to sacrificially give of ourselves to please others for their good edification. That's what it means according to Christ Jesus, because that's what we've just been told about Christ Jesus in verse 3. For even Christ pleased not Himself. So we don't want to please ourselves. We don't want to be selfish. We don't want to be arrogant or haughty in despising others or judging others. We want to mercifully allow them their liberties. Like Jesus Christ did not please Himself. And this God of patience and consolation that took care of everyone under the Old Testament in the Scriptures that were written aforetime will take care of you if you will be like-minded like Jesus Christ and swallow and restrain and not show your liberties to a weak brother that could stumble over them. The Lord will take care of you. He will be your God of patience and consolation in the matter. If you will be like-minded one toward another, this is on an individual basis. This is not just something we do here in the public assembly. This is something we do in your private life. When you have somebody to your house, when you have your children spend the night at their house, whenever all the ways in which we learn about each other's personal lives, we want to be very accommodating. We want to allow them their liberties to do things as they are convinced before God they ought to do them. That is to be like-minded. No fighting, no strife, no bitterness, no grudges, no hating, no despising, no judging of one another. It's to be like-minded. It's to think the same thing about things that we all think differently on. I hope you understand the difficulty of the word like-minded right here. How can we be like-minded when we all have a different mind on the things that we're talking about? How, how can it be? 
We agree to disagree. It's the simplest way I know to say it to you in a little phrase that you're used to hearing because it's an American idiom. We agree to disagree in all the things that don't matter. Now, the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded, one toward another, according to Christ Jesus, who did not please himself, and we ought not to please ourselves. So we ought not to care about our liberty so much that we can't give it up whenever we need to give it up for the benefit of someone else. Anything that's a matter of liberty, we should be able to give it up. We don't want to be brought under the power of anything. And there's going to be more to be said on that from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12 when I preach on Christian liberty, which I haven't done yet. Right now we're just preaching through Romans 14 and 15. Trust me. Now the God of patience and constellation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. That is so exciting. That whole Old Testament was written so that we could take little places like Psalm 69.9 and see that Jesus Christ did not please himself. And the words are shown us that Paul draws his argument from. And I, I got you know, you know that God took care of Joseph, right? Did God give him patience to endure all his difficulties? You know, prison with the Midianites, uh, chained up as a slave with the Midianites, then in Potiphar's house, then in prison. Did, did God take care of him? Oh, God took care of him. What about the Lord Jesus Christ? Did God take care of him for not pleasing himself? Did God take care of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he the God of patience and consolation? He sits at the pinnacle of the universe, promoted, promoted far above. All principalities and powers, every name that is named, every throne, might, and dominion in the universe. Why? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And we should all be saying, nevertheless, you know, I love to do this, but this person loves to do that, so I am not going to talk about this. I'll have faith in it in private, and I'm going to love this brother that does things differently. And I'm not going to let that bother me. I am not going to despise him. I'm not going to resent him. I'm not going to push him. I'm not going to send him links to help him come up to my speed. I'm going to love him just the way he is. Oh, Lord, help us to do this. I want a church that pleases and looks like the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want it with all of you because I am just your representative here. And the Lord's, we all want it. I believe that. Verse 5 ends with a colon. Verse 6 says this. Why we should be like-minded. And this is what really... Oh, yesterday I was worked up. Yesterday. This, this is so exciting. Verse 6. Why we should be like-minded one toward another. Meaning that though there are many things that we differ on, we've agreed to differ on them and we don't care because we want to be in agreement on the one thing that counts. And that is to have one mind and one mouth to glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul sticks in there, in case you don't know what God I'm talking about, I am talking about the God that is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is Jehovah of the Bible. You know, this is, there's been a lot of implied references to idols. In any matter of Christian liberty in the New Testament, there is only one God, and he is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how do we glorify him? When I read the words, that ye may, 
glorify God. That ye may glorify God. I hope that our minds are one. That there's nothing more important in our lives than to glorify God. What do you want out of your life? To glorify God should be the gigantic number one goal for everything we say and do and think. To glorify God. To bring glory to God. To exalt God. To please God. To declare God's goodness and His greatness. To to spend ourselves and to be burned out for His glory. That He might be made greater. That we might be made lesser. To glorify God. Well, how do we do it? We're like-minded in matters of Christian liberty. Have you ever heard about the seven proofs of unconditional salvation? They are seven categories of reasons why we believe in unconditional eternal life. Do you know what the capstone and the crown jewel is of the seven proofs of unconditional salvation? It's number seven. The glory of God. Is that how you think about things? I have 30 verses here. Do you know what they've done? They've built up to a capstone, a crown jewel. Why do we want to be a church at peace? Why do we want to be like-minded and allow everyone to have your liberties? Why do we want to do that? Because Jehovah God of the Bible wants a happy, unified, peaceful church when they open their mouths to glorify Him. And I want that for this church. It's the highest. Verses 10 through 12. He can send my soul to hell. His righteous law approves it well. But I'm going to glorify him on the way down. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to tell you that verse 6 is more important than anything else in these 30 verses. Because I want to glorify God. It's not even my brother anymore. We've, we've lifted our sights above our brother. We've lifted our sights above our brother to the glory of God because if we have a church where we're, re- we're resenting each other, we're going to our homes and ridiculing each other to our children because they do something different in a matter of liberty. We're offending the God of heaven. He received you. And he's got more problems with you than you could lift in, list in ten lifetimes. And he had to put them all on the back of the Lord Jesus Christ and send him to a cruel cross. And we can't receive each other. Every father knows what I'm talking about. When children sit at a table and are poking, they're driving a car, they're poking each other. They're saying mean things to each other. It tears fathers up. It tears mothers up. This is the God of heaven. And, and you know, every child that you have, you didn't have anything hardly to do with getting that child. In the sense that God just gave it to you without you asking about the child. But listen, God has saved us. He created us. He's our creator. He's our savior. He's paid the ultimate price for us. And when we start fussing among ourselves and fighting among ourselves and are bitter and striving with each other, it is offensive to Him. Now, the God of patience and consolation, do you believe that you can ever lose for giving up matters of Christian liberty? You are wrong. You cannot lose to give up something for the benefit of another because the God of patience and consolation in verse 5 is going to take care of you. 
But we need that God of patience and consolation to grant us something. He needs to grant us something that we'll be like-minded one toward another. Almighty God, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, grant that this church will be like-minded one toward another according to the example of Jesus Christ that you're teaching us right now. That ye may be with one mind. How can we have one mind on things that we differ? I don't care what you do, brother. I love you because you're a blood-bought son of God. And I'm a blood-bought son of God. You're my adopted brother. I'm your adopted brother. We get to sit at our older brother's table and remember that our older brother went to the cross of Calvary, that we could all receive the adoption of sons. Like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God. We just sang, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain, I count but loss, poor contempt on all my pride. We did that together. Do you know, do you know where that sound went? Do you know it was carried by ghosts? In the presence of God, do you know there was incense arising before the throne of Almighty God? But do you know when there's divisions and you despise somebody else in this church because they do something that you think is nasty or dirty, do you know what it does? It doesn't get to heaven. It gets to heaven diluted. I want it to get to heaven and God to be glorified by our little church. I don't care about our building. I don't care about our property. I don't care about our bank account. I don't care if we, and I do care that we have jobs, but I don't care about much. I just care that it goes up into heaven. Otherwise, my life's been, my life's been a waste. And I'm going to tell you something about your life. Your life's been a waste. If we don't do everything that we can, when it's put in print for me to know how that we can glorify God, I get excited. And I hope that you can share in my zeal for these verses that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God and the Father, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now with that being the crown jewel, wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us the glory of God. Do you understand the sense of the words? Wherefore, since I just gave you the crown jewel, is there anything holding you back? From, rece- from not receiving one another. Is there anything holding you back? Shouldn't you receive one another? Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.